Good morning. Welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. It's funny, every time I do these intros, I'm literally reading the screen every time to make sure I don't screw it up. <laughs> do you have it out? I have I have the screen up there, the, the, the intro screen of all three of us, so I just I read it out just so I don't get it wrong. Good That's morning, right. gentlemen. I, I, I hover over the date and time at the bottom just to make sure it's Tuesday before I say, Happy Tuesday! <laughs> like, <laughs> The, the the days are just days. It's blending in a little bit. Days. Happy yeah. February. Yes. Happy, yeah. February first. One have... month. One month down in twenty twenty two. It's going Maybe fast just... already. It feels like I know. It zoomed by quickly for me. So we have March Madness coming up, and I'll I'll pose this to the audience, but I want to ask you guys. I should have said this before the podcast. Oh yeah. Thanks whatever. for bringing stuff but, on me, Tommy. I love it. No problem. Uh-huh. But I think we should do for March. We should do like a. Remember we did the draft. We should do like a March Madness bracket of all things Power BI, like a desktop a region, service region, and like embedded developer region, and just basically vote on that and just do that for kill a few episodes i, th- well, I think actually, we should let our, our listeners play it out i think we should drop a poll on the the power bi tips linkedin page and actually let people vote on do do an actual voting of it they can vote but it's not gonna go through without us so <laughs> we've, already, we've, we've already done one of those like hey pick your features and whatever's gonna win what if we did so we the roadmap was just released. Yeah, it was. And we know the roadmap never releases when they say it's going to release. Ooh. So, what do you so say maybe over-under? maybe yeah, maybe we do a, you know, which over under on all the <laughs> on all the releasings <laughs> or you know, when when do we think the dates are going to align? I don't know. I like that. How good? Uh, how good is your, Microsoft? I love the chance to sportify Power BI at every. <laughs> yeah, yes. Because we I love, love sports. We're death, not nerds. So. <laughs> sports goal units, right? Yeah. Um, hit a touchdown. Yeah, hit a touchdown. <laughs> you can't hit a touchdown. So. Ask me oh, the rock. Uh, anyways, <laughs> what is, what is the joke? The sports ball. Yeah, sports ball. <laughs> Pass me the sports ball. Excellent. Uh, so I did want to point out some things here. There's, there are some announcements that are coming from the Power BI blog. One, uh, one that maybe uh, that I, I saw some warnings or some strong warnings across Twitter uh, from a lot of people kind of being cautious about this. One of them from Melissa Coates. A reminder that your, this is a technical piece here, but for those of you who are listening, WebView 2 is now required for your next Power BI release. So the February release, there's a huge kind of infrastructure change that's coming. Um, and you need to be able to have a WebView 2 on your machine and available for you to be able to use Power BI Desktop moving forward. Uh, I will grab the blog from the Microsoft blog. Um, I don't understand all the details of it, but it sounds like it's important. <laughs> so re- <laughs> read all of it. There's there's apparently some internals of Power BI that is changing to make it easier for them to build, release, uh, and keep us happy with new Power BI desktop releases. So I believe this is a preview feature right now, like enable and it is now view. correct. So if you want to see if it works for your computer, it's a good idea. Pre- yeah. So I, I think it should be an automatic update, like the WebView 2 runtime in the background. I believe so. so. Pre- if you prerequisites wise, you shouldn't have you to. Some IT and some computers, they're. Yeah. I, oh, yep. they're like controlling the, the yep. release of, yeah. of different things into machines. Yeah. It's like when you have multiple .NETs uh, <laughs> on your computer. Can you... But it. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, you're like, you need 4.5. And you're like, I have 4.7, but the one that's enabled by IT is 4.3, and there's oh nothing God. you can do. Yep. So it might be one of those. Hopefully not. 
Hopefully, it's, hopefully it's I don't know kinda... anything I just said. Maybe oh. that's why the warnings are out there because of yep. organizations like that where people go, um, all my I, Power BI desktops just Everything just, just stopped working. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not have Can that. Can I go home? Can I go home? <laughs> exactly right. I think we're done here. So uh, for all you IT controlling folks, just, just be cognizant. Just be aware. You too, if you have Power BI, your Power BI users that, well, when you release this version of Power BI into your ecosystem in six months, um, just be careful. Just be sure. That <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And uh, I know we mentioned earlier today about you know, maybe taking over unders on the release plan. Uh, I just I did also want to point out there's a really interesting report that I believe Alex Powers has produced, and you can go get from AppSource. So if you want to see all the updates for the release plan, Alex has has done that for you. And there's a uh, it's actually a template app. You can just go download and add to your organization. So I just want to. Um, Point that out as well. It's a cool little, cool little report. It has links to all the different documentation pieces. Uh, if you want to stay up to date and have a nice condensed version of what's releasing when and where, this would probably be very helpful. So I'm going to just write in the chat here, right down on the template app for the release plan. Kind of like the idea of the over-under. I'm, I'm fine with whatever. As, as long as we put a little, a little uh, pool of money into that. Oh, boy. Always got to come back to money. Now we're live betting on it. Or it could be pretend money. Yeah, Yeah, pretend money. So. (laughs) Awesome. Let's jump into today's topic. Uh, Today's topic is all about your favorite DAX functions. Riveting content for today. Uh, People are going to love this one. Actually, believe it or not, this is probably one of the only ones we've actually had people commenting on it earlier than than the actual podcast. Uh, Tommy was tweeting some things out and letting people know that this was coming up for the episode. there's actually a couple out there that are uh, people are already get, giving out some of their feedback on their favorite DAX functions and what they're using. So uh, for those of you who don't know, or who hopefully you do by now if you've been working in Power BI Desktop, DAX is the language that you use to write expressions across your data. It's kind of like Excel functions, but on steroids maybe I would say. They're highly capable, and uh, instead of using cell-by-cell calculations, you do it in the modeling of Power BI Desktop. So I was about yeah I was about to say if you're yeah. listening to the explicit measures podcast I really hope you know what a DAX function is and and I really hope you know the difference between an explicit measure and an implicit measure is <laughs> if you don't look those things up exactly and if you, you don't today here. we're going to be talking about DAX and how important it is in Power BI it's gonna it's gonna be deep I think yeah you know are you <laughs> if if I'm 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 the skeptical Tommy in this conversation. Like I I'm very interested in how how this technical conversation is going to get deep. But yeah, like, I, but by all means, show me. Yeah, like, go like, ahead. I know yeah, you love please. the technical, but like, I, I, well, let's roll. <laughs> sounds good to me. Uh, what I believe in is that calculate C A L C U L A T E bracket. <laughs> some is like that's a profound statement right there <laughs> there you go well, Boom. let's start so before we talk about i think our most important ones or you know the essentials let's kind of qualify why would we consider something important or essential kind of like basically why is one more important than the other when yep. you have how many dax functions are over not over 200 120 yes yeah, ton i don't know ton. how many there are I go, so, and then, yeah. yeah, and I'll also say, where do you go find your information on your, like, do you have a favorite place where you go read up on what DAX functions do what? DAX.guide. Yeah, that's my favorite, too. Seth, do you have anything else that you, any other, do you, do you read the Microsoft documentation on functions? 
I used to. <laughs> not, 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 not on my regular day to day job. No, not <laughs> on Saturdays. No. Just, just take a weekly reading. I'm gonna take a new, new three functions today. Yeah. To study up. So for those of you who don't know about it, and if you do work in Power BI, Tommy just put the link in the, in the chat window. Dax.guide is by far the most comprehensive documentation piece I've ever seen around Dax. And not only does it give you just um, really helpful explanations of what it is, the SQL BI team, which is the team that produces this, also does an incredible amount of other articles and documentation. And there's examples at the bottom, not only examples, but things you can go play with at Dax.do, mm -hmm. which is another like in the browser explore Dax kind of uh, system, I guess you would call it. So you can actually tweak and play with some data that's there and see how that, that actually executes data models uh, and how the Dax statement would change or evaluate a statement there. So it's really helpful. I really, really like it. Um, it's by far the best one in, in the, on the market. And finally, like actually shows the examples related articles. The one, that I, the only bone I have to pick with Marco Russo's SQL BI. Is careful what you say the, right here, right now. I know. I know. All right. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's a joke. Come on. Okay. Just, just wait. Okay. Just wait. All right. Just with this. I wish their article titles were more journalistic because their articles are so thesis based and so like they belong in a science journal that the titles are so like fun and friendly, like, Oh, come, come read kind of thing. But I wish it was like on the analogy of, of Dax qualifications in philosophy, because that would make it like a journalistic. <laughs> reading. Oh my That's, goodness. I, 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 I love their articles, but those are not ones that you just kind of read and move on. We've I talked about that. I before. will read them very slowly and multiple times to make sure I understand. There's a lot of dense information is what I'll and call it's it. Phenomenal. It's really good. It's just yeah. very dense. You got to be really understanding what's yeah. going on there. Highly like it. I use a lot of their, one of the, the articles they have that I love are uh, used quite frequently is the calendar auto or their, how do they build date calendars? I use that a lot in my data models because I don't like using the uh, automatic date time functions in desktop. So therefore you have to build your own yeah. date calendar. You have, to do, you have to think a little bit more about how the data model is created. All right. So of, of these equations, there are some that I don't use very often. One of them, I'm just looking through some here. One of them being ceiling. I don't I think I've ever used the ceiling function. However, there's other ones I think we use every single day. Um, you know, the calculate one is one of, I think is probably the most essential one that I would use all the time. So are you saying what's most important to you based on your frequency of use? Think, what, what, what's going into your qualification as important? I think I think there's two qualifications I would put for important. One is how often do I use it? That's probably one. And then the second part of that is just kind of what am I using to figure things out? Now, this may not be a DAX equation, but like using variables and returning them is incredibly helpful for me to debug pieces of DAX. So I, I feel like that feature of DAX is very relevant to me and helps me figure out a lot of why I was thinking about my data incorrectly or wrong. So those, I mean, there's a lot of other ones that I really enjoy using too, or use a lot very frequently, but those would be the reason how I would quantify them. How would you quantify yours, Tommy? Yours, are yours the same? I, I would say it's frequency of use, but just because you use something doesn't necessarily make it important. I think it's the okay. impact and it's that ability to kind of tread into other functions. So it's basically how much is that function in a sense for the whatever the output is constitute like always getting the same result. So obviously we have the most important ones. Like I think by far the all-stars calculate. It's probably the number one used anyone in dax yep i agree with that just um and because of what the uh the flexibility of it i totally so, agree with that one 
but it yeah so i mean because just saying frequency that can be very subjective to each person you might not be using the right one like so. nested if statements as opposed to a switch statement right so someone would say nested if statements the most important dax function because <laughs> <laughs> you don't know any better well right we've talked about this before like dax is like a journey right you figure yeah. out things as you go along and there's I, i'm even teaching some classes on dax now and so um there is as I'm teaching this, I'm I'm letting people know there's patterns that are out there. Here's how you do time intelligence. Here's a, here's how you do certain things inside DAX. These are these are examples that you can start from. But even looking at my training material, there was formulas I was writing earlier on that I would rewrite now, partly because maybe some new functions have been added, or you know I didn't understand as clearly what was going on inside the DAX statements. I would rewrite them now mm -hmm. and build them a slightly different way. And one key change I think that was made here. Um, I believe it's on how they handle a column. E so in the calculate function where you would do a column equals something else, mm -hmm. like a data point inside a data column. So when you're adjusting the filter context of that, I think they've actually changed the behavior and they've automatically wrapped some of that stuff for you in a filter function. So yeah, it, it's that came a few months ago. Yeah. So but previously you would do it and you'd have this, you'd build a calculate where, you know, column equals country and then country equals USA inside the calculate statement. And then you'd have this repeating number for every single country on a, mm -hmm. on a table. And you're like, why is this repeating this number every single time? Well, I think Microsoft has ad adapted some code because they've, they've changed how that behavior works now. Right. And I think probably the, the last part that qualifies something as important is there are multiple ways to get to the same number, but if you want to get the number accurately in a sense, every time there are certain paths you have to go through. And there's certain functions that you have to go through. I would agree. So I think I think what qualifies is whether or not there's a dot in the function, like t dot t dot this <laughs> dot the rt. Ones. Yes, return. The I've never used those. student t distribution. I think it, 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 as much as I can offer to this conversation, I think the most important <laughs> DAX functions are are those that that the business needs at the moment, right? Like recently, mm -hmm. um, I had a, a product guy who who was doing you know some hey we want to do some advanced innovation you know future facing things yep and he's like hey hey can power bi do this and, and i'm like well power, power bi can do a lot let's let's figure out like what part you're asking like is, right. is he asking about like the ml engine and data flows is it um you know something in dax and he, he gives me like the statistical documentation of DAX functions, I'm like, yes, amazingly enough, if you have the raw data that supports this calculation, it's automatically supported. Yeah. And that's what I think, like, we don't talk about enough is all of the non-used mm. stuff, but the capabilities of the, um, it like, almost advanced calculations we can do on raw data sets. It's just, where do we spend most of our time that we're, you know, 90% of all of the use cases of DAX are in 10% of the functions, something like that, right? Like hmm. most, so actually, I think yeah. important is those that you should be really, really familiar with because you're going to use them 90% of the time, hmm. you know, as well as maybe like use DAX.guide to, to understand like all the other stuff that's out there because at one point in time during your career, somebody might want to use T.dist. You know what's crazy? Yeah. I, I wish I had done this before, but like basically check which ones you've used or had used in the last year. It might be only 15% because we're using the common ones all the time. Sure. Like I've never, I don't think I've ever used admissing items and I've never heard of ACOTH, ACOTH. 
don't know if you guys have, but the statistical ones too. Mm-hmm. I would be I would be interested if people listening have actually used those very statistical ones. Well, there's some interesting things. So this is, I I like where you're going with Tommy, and I want to say that like if you go in and you build this to the regular table. So if you do a, a a table inside Power BI, and then you go use the performance analyzer, and then you record what that table is producing, mm-hmm. that table actually produces a DAX statement. It's actually kind of easy to read, and when you get right. into like higher end, more complicated like embedding scenarios and things like that, you can actually go shape and just hit the data model directly. So sometimes you just need to understand like how do I build this table of information across these dimensions and these calculations. And I found there's another there's another one um, is roll up. Oh shoot, where is it? I'm trying to look at it right now. Um, there's a, there's a lot of top ends that happen automatically. Mm-hmm. There is a um, a lot of summarize or summarize columns summarize that column. are happening automatically. Oh, yeah. And rollup is subtotal. And so these are functions that are very critical just for making any visual or mo- like a lot of visuals inside desktop. But they're happening behind the scenes. And I don't have to right. write the DAX. So I, I, that, that, that's the amazing part, isn't it? Your DAX is actually writing, DAX. writing more DAX. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Inception. But I mean, you're, you're putting a table on the page. And boom, it just works. But behind the scenes, there's actually it has a, to do a top yeah. end. There's a there's a you know, and roll up is total is subtotal that's going in there. So that I think is also part of the, the I don't know beauty of the Power BI desktop is it actually is helping you write some more of these complicated statements so you don't have to. And I think back on the day where you had to write in Excel MDX functions or cube members of things, mm-hmm. so you had to go into the cube and call out very specifically what you were trying to calculate. It was a lot harder to write. This is a lot easier yeah. to write. Than MDX stuff. I was actually yeah. uh um no, oh, not comparable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I, I actually got a Greg Baldini's help the other day, which he's actually an avid listener. He listens uh so hi Greg. Greg, I'm but, sorry uh, we make you dumber by listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's a Greg's a genius. I Greg's this, a genius. He knows how to do his explanation, his understanding of how he man, it is incredible. I love yeah. talking to the guy. I feel like I learned every I learned something every time I talk to him. So yeah, I'm sorry, Greg. We yeah. make you dumber by listening to our podcast. I actually had one of the, one of the more tougher things, and I, I'm like, Greg, I'm, I'm going to need you to look at this because it was something I was looking at for too long. That it was almost like you were painting. I'm like, I don't even know what color I'm looking at anymore. I need someone else <laughs> to look at it. So, and he just came in. We look, take a look, and then the same thing: the uh, performance analyzer and seeing like what's bogging down your query. So there, yeah. there's so much happening in the background, but I think. There are a few components, and it's oh, man, I don't want to divert from the actual topic, but you have functions, but then there's like the components of a function that makes it important. Like what makes calculate important, right? It's not just we use it a lot, but the actual what it does is is the transformation or ignoring or adding a filter context. Yeah, correct. So and it can nest into multiple functions. Well, it, this, so, this is the thing I think most people struggle with is this idea of like what is filter context. And I think right. uh, I had this aha moment when I was going through the training from SQL BI. And again, I'll, I'll highly recommend any of the training from SQL BI. Super great. There's beginner level stuff. Uh, and then there's a definitely advanced and heavy stuff that you can get into. If you're tuning or optimizing, if you're if you're a Power BI admin, I mean, it's worth its weight in gold. Go pay for the training. It is definitely, you need to go get it. Like, awesome. Um, but that that being said, you know, inside those those really heavy DAC statements, right? Even 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 inside this stuff, like there's so much the dimensions that you're talking to, what you want to calculate, and how you're cutting and slicing the data, 
And I, I'm now in my mind becoming more SQL based and people I'm working with are more SQL based. So I'm explaining to them, hey, look at this DAX statement or look at this table. This is, you know, on this table, I can see the X axis is actually the where clause. See, this is the where, the where of mm -hmm. each of these locations or salespeople or product names, whatever that is, that is the where clause. So I'm saying count all of these, you know, count the sum of sales. Right. At not count, sum up the sales for each of these salespeople, but the where clause in each of those is this uh, X axis. And that was one of my aha moments when I started getting into DAX was, wow, I don't have to write, at the time I was writing a lot of SQL statements to figure out what the data was doing. I would have rather just connect right to a SQL table and just build a bunch of visuals that told me what the data was doing. Whole bunch of columns by counts and like it was instant. And then I could click on something and then instantly it would change everything on the page. And it was as if I was writing 10, 20, 30 different SQL statements with the different where clauses to figure out what data is doing what inside right. a table. So I, it's really, filter context is understated. It's, it's yeah. really the key to what you're trying to do. And I think anyone who's becoming the next level for uh, Power BI Pro or becoming uh, more advanced as a DAX developer, whether you're just starting out or you've been doing it for years, taking that next step to me is understanding more the ability to transform or modify the filter context. Because the thing yeah. is, if you're going to be in this space, you have to, you're going to have to do that at some point. You won't be able to get around not modifying or ignoring a filter context in, in space. That's, that's just part of the, part of the deal of being in the, in the space. I totally agree with that. So obviously calculate. And I think that's like the, the game changer here, right? Like that's, I think if we, if everyone had to say what's number one, like which one could you not live without? It would probably be calculate. I totally would agree with that one. So a few of that I had just kind of going over is obviously there's some divide. They're still important or they're more just kind of like foundational measures, so to speak, or foundational functions. Yep. Like you really can't do that a lot without them. I would agree. A few. I think one of the more important ones to me is the iterator functions. Um, and those are like the sum X count, a, uh, count AX. So, and the reason why is because just like with calculate where you're transforming the filter context with the iterator functions, iterating over table, you can actually have a virtual table that you're actually computing against. And in terms of, again, the, and I'm realizing this as we talk, the most important functions are the ones where I can modify the filter or modify what I'm calculating in the function itself without a visual or without like necessarily on the filter pane for the need. Mm -hmm. So I think the iterator functions, one can live in a calculate, two can live in a, uh, in a variable. And um, I think, but those are also pretty hard to understand too once you begin to, or the first time you start working with like a sum X. However, that being said, those iterator functions by far can change the game and even avoid you using calculate. So how much have you used the iterator functions? I, I would say there's, for me, there seems to be specific use cases to run around and use the, the iterators. I think they're very powerful. I think it's you have mm -hmm. to have them. It's, it's part of what you're gonna need to calculate. Uh, for, for those who are not, understanding the difference between an iterator and just a sum function. So mm -hmm. anything that ends in an X, so you have like sum X, max X, those are called iterators. And so the, the core of that function allows you to iterate over top of data. So row by row, it will calculate something. And certain cases where you need to do like multiplication before you do a sum, like in at the row level, right? I have the number of products I sold, and then I have the cost 
at what the products were sold at, right? So to get my revenue, I would need to multiply first the number of products sold times the number of, of the dollar amounts that I sold them for, multiplying those two together and then summing the total sales would then give you your revenue for your company. So that math, you can't, you can't sum all the products you sold and sum all the sum of the, the sales prices to get and then multiply them after the fact is that the math doesn't work out. Right. So the iterators are helping you do that kind of that row by row detail, do a math equation first and then produce an output and then sum that over top of the whole table. I've used concatenate X a number of mm. times to kind of do some like usage around, like I want to be able to return a list of things or I want to take a text something and concatenate a bunch of things together. So concatenate X takes a list of items and then we concatenate those items together for you. Kind of another interesting little iterator. Um, yeah, I think the, the iterator functions are very helpful. I would just say, I don't think I, in my report building, I don't think I use a ton of those. I think I, because I have access more to the backend data systems. Yeah. I think some of, I think I've simplified some of those out of my workflows because I do more of those calculations upstream right. in the data warehouse or right. the SQL server. So, so yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna let Seth jump in here with any, anything that he was, any formulas he's loving. When I use tax, <laughs> which is not on a daily basis, right? No, calculate, summarize. Uh, I think count rows was, was something typically oh, used and mm, do a yep. lot of case stuff. So it's like if yeah. and switch were um, ones that are, are kind of worthwhile to understand because those those you're using quite a bit. Yep. Um, you know. Count rows is a big one. I like that one a lot. I use that actually yeah. a lot on tables. Just how many records are appearing in this table? And then when you slice and dice things, what does that look like? Do you guys use like another one alongside of that one? I use fairly frequently, sometimes distinct count. I'll do a lot of distinct oh, yeah. counts as well. Sure. Have to. Because that seems yeah. like that those in my mind, those kind of go hand in, in hand right now. So you, you talked about summarizing. That's kind of, there's another side of this where. Oh, you're bringing up summarize. All right. Here yeah, we go. That's that, you know, calculate may be the most important, but I think summarize is my favorite to do. So, and not almost part of the debugging side. Honestly, I still struggle some with uh, using summarize as a filter context, which you can do, which can blow your mind. But the ability to summarize the column. And again, because you can get the raw data, they actually see those counts is absolutely huge. Um, again, part of what Greg, Greg, uh, I was going to say what we did, but what, what Greg did for me, <laughs> <laughs> but we, I mean, it was basically, we created a variable as a summarize and yep. we did a sumx on that. Oh, table. Okay. That's insane. But in yep. term, yeah, this is where I was going to go with this. So yeah. I've, I've done so summer. So, Oh yeah. Keep going, Tom. Keep going. I yeah. got, I got things so, to say on this one. So the, and the, so the two main parts of that too, is like the, there was no way with the data model yep. way it was or what we were trying to do yep. was we needed this filter context ignored or at least in a certain fashion. Correct. Right. Yes. And, and it had to be dynamic. Mm -hmm. So what you do before is you create a summarized calculated table and you just kind of count, you know, go over that with some relationships. But we were basically trying to do like you change a slider and everything has to change dynamically. Yep. Correct. The only way to do that was to have a, in a sense, a dynamic summarize with a dynamic count over a grouped table. Yes. So, correct. and that has to be done in the measure because you have in to the measure recalculate a summarized table over and over again for every single change. Exactly. You can, you can. There's only two ways you solve that. You either one calculate a table with all possible combinations, right? Or you do something where you have a dynamic table being generated, and you can only do that inside the context of a measure. 
Right. Oh, I so, like the, this is the stuff that makes your head hurt. This this is the stuff because basically what we did was we had a summarize as a variable. We did a count on it. So we had two columns from that basically. And we basically filtered saying like if for the two columns we created virtually, because none of this is actually in a sense exists in the model as yep. a, as a table. Yep, exactly. Filtered saying both these have to be greater than one. Did a sum X on that table. You're done. So the, when you, when you actually look at the, this full function, this full measure, it's absolutely saying if you break it down, like that's possible. Um, and so for those who are tr- kind of staying along with what we're talking about, basically mm-hmm. we're talking about using variables, which is a whole other part of this. Some people there's, it's a little hotly contested on the chat where variables, not a function, but honestly, I don't care because it's just as important. Um, we basically created a virtual table and a variable filtered that virtual table and another variable, and then just basically counted that. And that's our dynamic. Uh, that's yep. the, the, that's the final output. So let me, let me, I'm going to give some context here on something. This is, this is a deep unpacker one here a little bit. Yeah. So DAX can create three things. And again, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. You can kick, you can create a single value, a point value, which is called a measure. That's a, 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 it basically renders to a single number. Then you have a column. The column can render at the row level. So this is something, it's almost like an iterator, right? It's kind of, it's doing row by row calculations for you. And then you have the table creation. So you can create entire tables with DAX. The interesting part here is when you start introducing, and again, Kevin uh, so kindly corrected me, he goes, Michael, uh, var and return is not a DAX function. I'm like, oh yeah, I get it. But I, I use them and I like them kind of thing. So I wanted to throw that in there. Anyways. Syntax. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> yeah. Even though var and, and returning from the variables that you can create inside a function, you can create a variable that returns a list a table, all kinds of other crazy things. So you can use what Tommy's talking about is the summarize function, which will allow you to be able to create a table on demand in the memory of that DAX measure. Now, I will be, I will note here, you can make some pretty gnarly summarize tables, so be careful because they can get pretty memory intensive mm-hmm. and it could slow your stuff down. But uh, it's very powerful to do some more of these dynamic things. And for me, this is where things get really hard because you have to be able to create a variable and know what that variable is doing and what the output of that table is doing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes what I'd have to do is I'd have to go to a create table, create the summarize statement somewhere else, or use DAX Studio. DAX Studio is a great tool to write DAX in. Write some DAX Studio DAX and then just return the table. Like, what are you actually getting? That was like opening my world up for me. I knew you could do it, but I didn't know how to refer to the table. I didn't know how to like call it out because when you create a variable, that is a table. You can call the table name, but it's virtual. So like the syntax on how you call out the table and return data from it is a little bit different than how you would call it out from a table column inside the data model. So for those asking, hey, Mike, you know, that makes my head hurt. Why can't I just do that calculated table as a calculated table? Why do I have to make it a variable? Well, so in, in particularly for Tommy's scenario, it was really around the, the fact that something had to change. When you have to recalculate the table, for whatever reason, um, let's if you're going to aggregate by a certain count or uh, filter certain things by a measure, like in Tommy's example, he had a slider on the page that was doing some sort of extra math to what he wanted to calculate, right? You know, um, count all the accounts. I'm trying to think of a good example of where I've done this before. It's typically when I, when I need to do a pre-aggregation before I return a value, something like something along those lines. 
right? I'm taking a subcategory or I'm applying filters to a page and then recalculating something. So that's when you need it. But as soon as you adjust that value, you expect that table to recalculate itself. There's there's no concept of like setting setting a threshold on something. Yeah, right? Right. like it, I, I'm my margin of error is you know uh, I'm I'm good with twenty five percent. I'm good with fifty percent. Well, like whatever those selections are, yes. change all the underlying calculations on the page. Right. It's right. the dynamic nature of exactly. the things that I think is is the mind bending part. Right. Yes. In and I don't know if if the SQL BI guys have done this probably in, in their extensive books and, and knowledge, but the it's very easy to start off with explaining some of the simple DAX functions and how they correlate to SQL Mike, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if, yep. if you're, a lot of us have SQL backgrounds, Correct. Um, filtering, grouping by, like adding a where clause. Oh, totally get that, yep. right? Yep. It's, it's where DAX starts to dynamically do stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I can explain subquery parts like in the inner part of this DAX function. That's like a subquery that you're returning this thing. But yep. then you're throwing into here. Oh, well, in SQL, you could pass in a variable, but all your data points are the variable now. Right. And that's what we're kind of talking about is yes. like the dynamic nature of DAX allows you to group by all of these different things and return single value or lists or whatever. Yep. And that's where my mind, like back in the day, back when I wrote a lot of actively DAX. <laughs> developed on DAX, right? Like that was the mind bender for me. Because if I think about SQL, I don't think about the code. Like I'm conceptualizing how I'm changing the data behind the scenes. And that I think that mental switch in between uh, some of these DAX functions, right? Especially when you layer them mm -hmm. or are going single value to list to return different things and iterate. That's where I, I, I would lose the mental model of yep. what I was doing to mm -hmm. the data. Yes. And that's why I think what's what in previous episodes we've talked about, like making sure you're, um, you have a table, right? You're wow. using variables because you can separate out those different pieces to bring your mind back to that logical level where you're thinking about how you're modifying the data and you're able to step through those changes um, till you get to the point where you're familiar enough, right? And this is why using these DAX functions over and over and understanding how they work allow you to capture or retain that mental model the more Correct. complex your DAX functions get. And I, I think sometimes I also forget, like I had to sometimes go back to the basics every so often and just rethink like, okay, what, what are we doing here? So when you're writing a calculate statement, the thing that gets expressed first is the filters. It's the end of the, of the function. Those are expressed first across your data model. So if, as you're thinking about filter context, again, filter context is so key. Spend some time learning that because that really helps frame out a lot of how you build the formulas and the equations because there is filter context that's uh, that's observed. You can see it, and there's some filter context that's not observed, and that's and I think that's when you, you really have to understand what's going on there in that filter context piece because that can uh, it's the unobserved filter context. You know, for example, just out of, you know, just for uh, clarity here, right? I have two visuals on the page, and I have a filter pane on the right hand side. If I add a data field to the filter on the right hand page. It's not on any of the visuals. It's just on the filter pane. If I adjust that filter pane, maybe by account code or something like that, all of the visuals on the page will change. I've added a filter context to both visuals and the rest of the page that is not technically in the visuals. 
it's kind of somewhere else on the report page. And you have to understand that that is influencing the calculations that are inside the visuals. It's just a different way of thinking about what's happening on the page. Right. Um, it's, and, where it, it's where you you only want those filters to modify certain parts of the calculation. Exactly. That that's right. really interesting. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. like, it's like, I created it. It works. But, now I add a filter. That's not what I want. That's not that, that's <laughs> calculator, yeah. right? Exactly yeah. right. And Marco uh, does Marco yeah. does a good thing. He's I stood up the article for table and column references in mm -hmm. DAX variables, which is a really good article. Very deep. Yeah. Take your time, read it slowly. Um, don't want to give you a headache. But in here, they do a great example of saying they're using an example around the top end products, the top end number of something, and then they're calculating a single value on top of this, which is very relevant because this is where filter context does affect things, right? If you filter out a region, that top end number of things should recalculate. You should recalculate the top number of items. Or if you're filtering by sales representative, you now have to recalculate that which items are which are the, are the top items. So that's a good example of when you need to have like these variable tables in memory. And the, the, the final wrinkle to that is this is also now very dependent on how well your model is shaped because all this is also that's relationships true. can greatly affect that. Oh boy. Uh, now we're, now we're yeah, talking that, relationships. That's the whole other thing. The last thing I'll say about the summarize and the variable is the powerful feature. And I do use summarize as a calculated table, like to get like the first date of a customer purchase, like, or the first date we have someone because that is static. It will always be that date or that number mm -hmm. when it's calculated table. When you use it as the variable, it's not just on a filter or, or a slider. It's also on every single, like it's the evaluation context on a date. So if you have like every month, it's going to do that same virtual table per day. Like let's say you're doing a rolling 12 months. It's going to do that per month on the visual compared to a static calculated table. That's always going to produce the same number. Correct. Yeah. So. So yeah, we're, I think we're kind of have a few themes here when it comes to our most important functions and it's definitely on the ability to transform or modify the filter and then nested calculations. I would agree with that. One thing I, I don't think we're going to talk about here a lot, but I do a lot in my models is row level security. Mm. And so when I'm in, in a, let's call it a standard model, you, you typically secure things by like an email address because you have a function called user principal name. And so for me, in some of the workflows that I use, user principal name or username is very important for me to acquire who, what is the identity of the user and how can I apply that to the data model? Now, the reason I'm saying this is an important function to me, I, I don't write the formula for it all the time, but I have a lot of models that I think contain this formula in it. It's, it's fairly common. I, and, if, and if I'm ever talking about real security, that's like a given, right? So I think for those of us who are doing like real level security type models, that's another function that would say, learn that one, figure out what it is, and, and maybe do a little homework on like username versus user principal name. Mm -hmm. And then along with this, I'll add, if you're doing any kind of embedding or enhanced report building, there's another function called path. So mm. sometimes, and this is, again, I've been in a number of companies where the security model of how people access your data is not as easy as just an email address. It's more comp it's more nuanced than that, right? The user has an email address, but they also have a persona at some point, right? I'm a sales region manager, or I am, uh, I'm only allowed to see a subset of information, or I'm coming in as an account manager, so I need to see all accounts, but sometimes I come in as a single person on one account. I can have different personas as a user. 
uh, this adds a whole lot of complexity to your security model because in, in real level security, technically you can only pass in one security element. Now you can do other fancy things with adding multiple roles and some other things that you can do there as well, but you can also pass in a string of text. And that's what the principal name is. It's basically a string of text. You can use the path option to pipe deline delineate your input key and then break that apart and use that across multiple tables. So I've used that technique a couple times. Um, and then I've also heard people doing any kind of hierarchy things. If you're building hierarchies, you can build hierarchies with the path function. And the path function can help you unwind um, a hierarchy, which again, sometimes also is very much used in like when you have like a parts list or a bill of materials or something that's rolling up to, to other pieces there. So those are two other ones I mean, that I'll just point yeah, out. That's a, that's a really good call out because I was working with Power BI for a while um, before I realized username didn't require an email, right? Yeah. It, yeah. You pass anything you want into it as far as, yep. unless, you know, as far as a, an application uh, passing some sort of other identifier into the model, as long as it relates to the data that you have. It's, and I think that's just, like, that's yeah, just more of a, slick. that's just more of a, you know, a nuanced piece when you're starting to get really into embedding and you're doing a lot yeah. more relative security. Some people, don't touch that. They just build reports by workspace and they're happy. And that's, you know, if you get to see the report, you can see all the data. And everybody has an Azure AD account and it just works. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Security groups that are up to date. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All that great stuff. Um, I, I need to use path more, but I think you're, you're kind of touching on another part in Mike, and you kind of touched on in the beginning as well. Some of my most important functions are not necessarily ones that are always used in a measure, but are kind of strictly for debugging or kind of, I don't want to say hacks or fixes, but to kind of ensure the data quality. So one of yeah, tell me tell me about yeah. that last statement there, data quality. What what are you thinking yeah. about for data quality there? So a lot of times again, because our models and our data sets are not ideal, you might have like a, your dimension table, but it might not contain everything. Okay, and you might have like a multiple fact tables, and okay, what am I missing here? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So. I don't remember what article I read this, but I'll basically create a, a calculated table that's a distinct appending of all of the values that I'm trying to get and basically make that my relation column or my relationship table. So it's basically a, what is it? It's a filter distinct union and then distinct over each column in every table that I want. Okay. So for example, if, you're, if you have five tables that have products, but you know, you might not know where they're coming from. Basically show me what all the distinct products are. Sure. And then I can basically use that, relate all the tables to that, use that as my dimension. Ah, uh, I see. So, right. Gotcha. And I actually use that a lot, especially when I'm just developing reports or trying to figure out, okay, where is that coming from? Like which table is this unique value? Gotcha. Um, or just if I need to have that distinct column and I don't want to have to do an, an appendant power query. That's interesting. I, I don't think I've, I, I think Seth, you did a blog around union, the union function, writing something with a complex date calendar that had, you were doing some kind of month, day. Dynamic time matrix. Yeah, yeah. dynamic time matrix. So, so you actually, you built a matrix table that was calculating yeah. everything and then it would let you have, because sometimes that's a very common. It's one of those, pieces. it's a, it's a common, it's a common Excel thing, right? Like when finance yes. or whatever wants to look at, give me my seven days, give me my month, Give me my year to date totals, yep. quarter, you know, quarter year to date, whatever. Um, 
I that was a rabbit hole one. It is it, it's a fun read and and it's probably one of the most gnarly Dax things I've put together in my life. Yeah, but it, it's one of those that I just I wanted to find a solution for and I did. So you can you can determine which time groupings you want, mm-hmm. right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not specific to just what I what I built out there and i'm not saying it's performant by any stretch of the imagination on really large data sets but yeah yeah i mean there's the i think one of the amazing things with dax is you you can it's very extensible into finding solutions right you're you're kind of unbounded related Mm -hmm. to like grouping data and time frames and when when you let that thread ride a real long way that's where things like the dynamic time matrix come from right like yes you can do it yes you you kind of just mentioned the elephant in the room we're we're 45 minutes in and we none of us have mentioned time intelligence measures or Uh, i was i was going to get there for some of those why i was going to pick up so month to date quarter day yeah so i don't feel like i use month to date or year to date as much but i do feel like i use a lot of like same period last year's comparison yeah comparison mm-hmm. things i do a lot of, i feel like that kind of stuff i do a lot of, of those kind of calculations but they uh, add yeah. when i explain when i explain power bi to people right there's the simple scalar functions like sums counts you know average mins max and then you get into like what is filter context you know how do i what does that mean and then i feel like the, the steepness of the learning curve ramps up very heavily and gets right to time calculations <laughs> right and so that was like my issue yeah when I got into DAX initially was I felt like when I started this journey, I jumped in, I was, you know, happily moving along with my functions. Things were making sense. Felt a lot like Excel, no big deal. And all of a sudden I got into this time intelligence stuff and I got stuck. Like to me, that's where the learning, a lot of the learning happened for me around what, how do you do time intelligence? What is the, what are the measures doing? And so I literally had to sit down and take some time to break out. Okay. I'm going to calculate percent change on this thing, well, how do I build that? How do I build that formula such that I can use percent change to go produce those kind of calculations? And it's so important, especially with uh, like the time intelligence functions or really, again, what what it's doing to understand that before you use it. I'll give a great example of dates year to date. We had one where we're basically looking at products by dates year to date. And I was using the date from the fact table. So, and we were a few months in, we're looking at all the numbers and then someone's like, why, why is a uh, bikes, you know, $15 million? Yeah. You know, like we're only two months in. Well, the thing was there were no bike sales in this year. They were in the previous year. Mm-hmm. So therefore, according to the evaluation context and the yep. filter context, yep. the way it's transformed, it thought was a big number. Going, well, dates year to date, the last date is in 20. 20- you know, last 19. year. Yeah. Therefore that's year to date for yep. that particular measure. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yep. and, but understanding that, I mean, with the first time you look at that, you're like, wait, what? Like, and that is one very deceiving, especially when someone's looking, this goes back to people trusting the data. We're assuming it's working right, but someone's going to point that out. Who's that subject matter expert. Who's the owner of that, you know, the bike category, that number is definitely wrong. Like, well, no, I did everything correct but there were no sales or especially like month or quarter to date. If you're not using the right model relationships, yeah. you may be pulling in a time that is not as uh, the same as the others. And again, it's necessarily not by no fault of your own, but it's, it's doing, as we've said before, it's doing exactly what you ask it to do. Exactly. Yeah. And 
I, it, I just didn't understand it enough. I didn't understand it enough to know what it yeah. was doing correctly and what it was not doing correctly. Yeah. So yeah, I screwed up. <laughs> so rethink my, yeah. my formula. Exactly. Um, well, the last thing I'll ask you guys is with all these different functions and we, we've touched some functions, but I think we've really touched the concepts that make a function important, which I yep. kind of like where that went because we could go over 15, you know, individual functions. I don't think that would do any good for users because it's the concepts. Yeah. If you're learning a function, like let's say path, let's say I haven't really used it, but I want to learn more about it. There's obviously a dax.guide, but if you, let's say I need to master a certain function or I really want to understand again, the, the widgets and how, it, how it ticks. Yep. What's kind of your methodology to get to that point where you feel like you have, you're comfortable with what it's doing. Ooh, that's a good question. What is my methodology? Well, usually it starts with like doing it wrong the first 10 times. <laughs> then I proceed to bait my head against the wall repeatedly. I'm a master at that, yes. And then I wander my way over to DAX patterns or <laughs> SQLBI.com and then just read until my brain just falls out my ear. I mean, that's basically what happens typically. Or I call Greg Baldini and see if he can help me. Step one, wrong answer. Step two, call Greg. <laughs> it's exactly right. <laughs> Uh, we will be giving out Greg's uh, phone number directly at the end of the show <laughs> in case you need some extra help with Dax. <laughs> Anyways. Seth, uh, do you have any... Uh, Non-funny... Yeah, I'll, I'll let, let Seth go to give a real answer and I'll think of like something that's like, not stupid. I, I'm, I'm not going to steal your answer. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. Like, you, you know, we, you we've talked about it in other podcasts, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, you, you assume everyone's listened to all of our podcasts, though. I know. Well... You have 80 hours yes, of yes, fun yes, content. Yes, if, you, if you haven't gone and listened to our other 79 hours. Riveting. Uh, you can find the answer there. If you're like this, then wait. <laughs> yeah, if you thought this one was amazing, wait until you hear the other 80 episodes. No text you just Teaser. hope and pray you find the right episode. There you go. Teaser. So, so resolution, like... What would you find the most important? Well, we've talked about this before. You can see go our other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep scrolling. Yeah, exactly so, right. Do you feel like reverse engineering, reverse engineering helps? Because as you were totally talking about agree. Path, I looked at DaxPatterns.com, another great site, by the way. And he has parent-child hierarchy. Oh, yep. I'm going to get that one too. And on the link. one of the best things that for me, if I'm like, okay, I need to really wrap my mind around it is, I need to look at someone, someone's example. Yep. So, and that's another great thing about SQL BI and DaxPatterns.com is you can download the samples from what he did. Mm -hmm. And then I'll put that in tabular editor. I'll kind of look and just go, okay, what did he do here? So for me, reverse engineering is vital. Yep. Yep. And I yeah, think but, uh, scene are, tables is, that, is also important. Is that reverse engineering though? Like you're, you, you just described going and finding somebody else's snippets. And that's where I got myself into trouble when I was doing a lot of DAX stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like reverse engineering to me is breaking down the components of all of my parts of my query, right? And variables mm -hmm. was a huge help in doing that mm -hmm. as well yeah. as what Mike just said, which is putting in, putting my different components in different tables on yep. a page yep. to make sure that I'm conceptualizing the outcome the way that I would assume, especially right. if I'm adding a filter, right? Correct. If I've got these things separated out into different tables and I add a filter, I know what my expectation should be because I've limited myself right. to like a row or a sample set that I know what the outcome should be. And that to me is different than reading DAX or having somebody show me an yeah. example, because for me, 
I could always read somebody else's DAX and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like uh, syntactical sugar or right. like this is what I forgot. Sure. But it, but when I was constructing my own thing that didn't fit an example is where I struggled the most mm-hmm. and had to to break things down into those different pieces. So when when you've I think when you've worked with DAX long enough when you when you have an example or you you know copy pasta something you can look at it and be like oh yeah duh totally like this is the subsection i need here's the fi- here's where the filter is required like that makes a ton of sense to me that's different to me than tweak something in that go go change something that is specific to your use case you're always going to hit that point where you need to understand all those diff- you need to understand yep. how to construct mm-hmm. all those different pieces because DAX is very simple to read. Yep. It's just really hard to put together if right. you have to change it. And that's where I think the, especially the simplification of aggregations of some, and then you jump into time intelligence, right? You look at the yes. com- complexity of understanding the different elements there. And I think that's where the trap is for beginners is, oh, I just want to do time intelligence. Oh, that should just be as easy as the aggregation I did. Oh crap! It doesn't. It doesn't meet now an example of something I found on the internet. Now what? So yeah. yeah. Okay. No, so I I agree. So I want to go. Okay. I want to go into this one. So I'm going to give you like a real answer of like how I actually do debugging of DAX things, or when I get into a, a wrap my head around a problem instead of model. And this is a technique I use a lot of the time. I even use this a lot because I like writing blogs about things I learn because it helps me understand what I'm producing. So what I'll do is I'll go look at my data. I'll build a small table of that data as representative as possible mm-hmm. in a separate Power BI file. So one thing that's in, that, that sometimes is hard to do when you're working on a real data model with real data, right? You don't really know what the answer is supposed to be. Like you have to figure out what is the, really the answer going to be. So, you know, for example, if you're trying to do like a top end filter and you're trying to auto filter things, what, what I'll do is I'll build a very simple table. I'll go into Power BI desktop. I'll make a brand new file, clean, and I'll add the number of columns that I need. The, the, these are three text columns. These are three number columns. That's the bare minimum information that I need. And then I can work out the math of what the answer should be with my formula. So I can check to make sure the formula is right. So I'll start with that. Then I'll go explore and write out some DAX formulas that can then produce the answer that I'm looking for. And I'll touch, I'll test my edge cases. What happens if I use this filter? What happens on a bar chart? Like what, just something simple. I find that it helps me speed through the learning process of what I'm trying to do in those special case scenarios much faster. Because sometimes when you're doing a lot of DAX equations on a very large model, every time you update or add a new measure, you it takes a second for it to think and put that yeah. calculation, that measure inside the data model. So, I mean, one, it speeds your time up immensely because you're, you're on a very small model and it's very fast to load the data or change the measure for you. Plus, I may make 10 measures exploring what is right and what is not right. I don't need all that junk in the main model and then I don't know what I've used and what I haven't used. So I also like having it in a vacuum because it, it isolates my development work away from the actual data model that we need. And you'd be amazed how much easier it is to audit 15 rows compared to 15,000. That's exactly right. <laughs> right? I, I, since we've talked about that, I do that every time now. It's so much more helpful. I to. Yeah, I totally agree with so, that. So take the extra minute or two to fabricate some just data. Just take a sample. Just take a yeah. sample or take, you know, fabricate a little bit of data to get you to your answer. So, so I recommend that. Yeah. The reverse engineering stuff that, I mean, it's not just necessarily taking someone's DAX function and then trying to apply it. 
I like the sample files from SQL BI because he always has usually dependent measures and the end result. Yes. It's like, okay, and I'll start with that first, like the final number, like, okay, what's that final measure he's showing in the visual? Yes. And then kind of breaking down each part of that, like what's dependent on that? Okay, what is that doing? And then try to break it down. But start with, so the sample files that people produce, I have to kind of dive into that. And another plug to Tableau Editor, because it's so much easier to debug and view DAX functions. So. so I'm also going to throw out another one here that's I think is very relevant as well. So we've been talking about DAX and our favorite functions, but there's actually a number of tools out there that are already building DAX for you and helping mm -hmm. you get that into your data model. So think about this DAX, right? DAX statements are very hard to move between different data models because they're linked to the columns and the things that you have inside your current data model. There are some interesting things. There's actually a, on the community, there's actually a uh, DAX gallery, DAX quick measures gallery, I think is inside the Power BI community. And so these are, these are where people have made examples of, Hey, I made this interesting DAX function. It's doing a, you know, a, a transformation here. I'm going to add a unicar and do a star value rating from one to five, something like that. So one tool that I want to point out that Dieter over in, I think it's in France has made this thing called Power BI side tools inside Power BI side tools. There's another tool called DAX generator where you can go from a template, build out a, or, or go look at templates that people have made, which are hosted on our, our GitHub, Power BI Tips GitHub page. You can go get pre-built DAX functions and then inject them into your data model. And so it'll rename the columns. It'll help you build. So these patterns that we're seeing, right? These DAX patterns, essentially, you can build a tool that will automatically input that information directly into your data model. So there's actually some really interesting tools if you want to go explore dax and tommy you're very involved in the in the process yeah because you're actually uh, adding templates and things that you're finding like dax patterns that you're doing you're adding them into this gallery of things where you could parameterize a dax statement and then reuse it across multiple models which i think huge. is actually really impactful and i think honestly microsoft missed the boat on quick measures quick measures gallery inside desktop should have been an extensible a, a flexible, like there should have been a standard made for it so that anyone could write quick measures and add or them in there. Your own. Yeah, just save your own or, or something like that. So help, I think they should have done a better job letting you have more access to what quick measures can do because I'm not going to know everything about DAX, but someone has spent the time to figure out these common patterns. And probably there's, I mean, as noted by Marco Russo and, and SQL BI, there are DAX patterns. There are common patterns you're going to repeatedly hit over and over again. Well, why not write a template that could handle 80% of those time intelligent things or templates that handle 80% of your use cases? Just grab one of these things off the shelf, use it, boom, done. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of value there around this whole concept of like reusing your DAX and trying to figure out how to com like commoditize it a bit where you could reuse it over and over again. And I know, I think that... There's something hey, all there. These, all these challenges go away when uh, we have natural language DAX. Oh, yeah, to, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. For episode 85. GPT-3 and, and in, in DAX. Coming, coming in April. Can't wait to talk about it. That will be an interesting... Uh, that, that'll be an interesting... Revisit the most important DAX functions in natural that language That you can DAX. say. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I mean, just... How, how natural language function... Like DAX functions changes important DAX functions. Hi, DAX. Can you give me the rolling customers <laughs> over a candidate and a certification over the exams uh, and sales and products? Well, but it, don't include the last 10 months. Thanks. Exactly. Bye. Yeah. 
Well, well, well and <laughs> maybe, and maybe this is like Alexa, right? You know, instead of saying, "Hey Alexa," it's, "Hey Dax." <laughs> Hey Dax. <laughs> hey Dax, give me the rolling average of spoiler alert. Yeah, it's yeah. A spoiler alert. You if can... Siri can't remember my reminders, like, hey, remind me tomorrow. When would you like to be reminded? What? <laughs> it's reminding me about tomorrow, but it doesn't know what tomorrow. You're just saying so, it wrong, Tommy. It's luck. it's not it's not the machine learning. It's you. You're the problem. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hey, Dax, give me a semi-addictive measure over my customers over the last four months. Yes, exactly. <laughs> hey, he's, well, let me tell my hey, Dax, boss, give I'm me done. a percent change over time. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I think with that, we've kind of burned out a full hour here uh, of talking about this uh, topic. I thought I thought it was very interesting. I'd like to where we kind of went with some of the conversation. I thought some of the stuff around uh, red-level security was kind of interesting. Uh, testing, how to get testing your Dax and figuring out problems there, I think that was also pretty pretty relevant as well. Any final thoughts or any wrap-ups of people want to, uh, you know, really had to get in one more function about what's your favorite DAX function? If you were wondering what the DAX editor or all the things we've talked about, tune in oh. to Thursday because we get, what a segue. That was a, so a yeah, so that was, we did this I should, I should, I probably should have made more, I know that was how my, my notes here to, to write <laughs> and talk about it. Like we've been talking about two tools that we use to help us with this. One of them being DAX Studio and one of them being Tabular Editor. So as you get further down this DAX path, I think you're going to figure out those two other tools are going to be very useful for becoming part of your regular workflow. So, Which are external tools. Which are external tools. And you can get all of them from the Business Ops Power BI installer. So if you go look up Power BI Tips Business Ops, you can install Tabular Editor 2, Tabular Editor 3, Deck Studio, ALM Toolkit, and a number of other tools. I think we've got around 35 or 40 external mm -hmm. tools you can go get that can just help you with your workflow in Power BI. We'll be learning about that on Thursday. We'll be learning that on Thursday. With that, I think we're we're at a wrap. Well, thank you all very much. We appreciate your viewership on our podcast and or listenership if you're listening to this online. Um, our only ask for you, if, you're, if you like this content, please just share with one other person, either social media, someone you meet with at work. If you find value from it, if you learned a couple things here, we recommend that you share it with somebody else. Tommy, where can you find the podcast? So if you're listening right now on Apple or Spotify, one, keep doing so and leave a rating. Uh, really helps us out. If you want to join the conversation live, you can do so every Tuesday and Thursday, 7.30 a.m. Central. Follow Power BI Tips on YouTube and LinkedIn for the latest episodes. If you're watching live and you want to see what the heck we're talking about with all of our other episodes, uh, follow us on Apple and Spotify. We have every, just subscribe. You can go through, search as best as you can and see what else we've <laughs> randomly talked about. And uh, I will I will say this too. Tommy has upgraded our uh, thumbnail for all of the, he got a, he got an amazing headshot. So Tommy, it looks, looking sharp on the new headshot. It looks I need, great. I need to match you guys. Yeah, it looks good. It looks good. Anyways, we're, we've updated our thumbnail just ever so slightly. See if anyone can find it. And uh, we appreciate you all very much. Thank you very much. Have a great Tuesday, and we'll talk to you on Thursday. Mm -hmm.